0: Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Hallelujah. Good morning to you all. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord this morning and to, um, you know, to be able to consider what God is doing, and, and as we see these young people, they're, they're doing dynamic things. Um, every generation needs leaders. How many know that, that if people follow Omar and Kenny as the leaders of their generation, huge things are going to take place? How many know that? And um, we have a great amount of, of these. There's, there's, there's a great population in our generation. They're called the fatherless, uh, people that are orphans. Um, people that have no direction, they have no purpose. Uh, If you see what they're doing to their bodies as they are uh, tattooing their foreheads and their ears and the back of their necks and stuff like that, that's just a sign of one thing. And you could say no fathers, no fathers. fathers. And uh, it's a culture absent leadership. And um, when leaders are standing up and excited about uh, putting the women at the front lines of battle, how many know that that's a curse? Does anybody know that that's a curse? When, when, when a thief is breaking into your house and you tell your wife, honey, go and, and, and go beat him up. You know, that's just a sign of no manhood. And so that's where we're at as a nation, um, as the Congress and, and the government is, is celebrating uh, putting our, our mothers, our sisters, our wives at the front line to fight the enemy. And that's what's in the headlines of the news nowadays. And it's just a sign of one thing, there are no men. And that's been the dilemma of creation since day one, where God, his first question is, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are the men in, in, in our homes? Where are the leaders uh, in our institutions? Where, uh, and it's not, a, it's not just a United States problem. It's a problem all over the world. Men have refused their call to lead their homes and to lead their families. And obviously, the leadership should always lead to triumph. And that's why Jesus is so powerful. The Bible says he always leads us to triumph. When you're following Jesus, you know you're going to end up in victory. How many say amen? amen? And some of you don't know this, and I didn't know this 29 years ago when I walked into the Christian church for the first time, and I saw a lot of people dancing and clapping and yelling. I was like, these guys are nuts. These guys have serious psychological problems. So I, I, I got fed up, and I just went back outside to the parking lot. And so I congratulate you, those of you that are visiting us for the first time that have not left this place yet, because I left. I went back to the parking lot, and I started grabbing a cigarette. And I was like, I was only 16. And I said, these people are nuts. Something's got to be going on. But when I came back into the house of God and uh, back into the temple, back into the gathering of God's people, I, I, let's go ahead and put this verse that I heard for the first time in my life. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. And this verse literally just, just really shot through my heart because God says, eyes have not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. An in, inimaginable future for those people that draw near to God. Those people that draw near to Christ. Um, and at the time, I was not going anywhere very fast. And otherwise, I, my life would have ended up very scary as you try to be curious about life. But when I heard this for the first time, I couldn't believe that God had plans for me. And so um, never having seen these things, never even having heard them. Uh, my dad was 49 years old and had never talked to me about these plans that God had for me. Uh, he's a brain surgeon. He's a medical doctor. He's an intellectual academic a hero of the community. But he had never heard the plans that God had for us. And those plans are within the Word of God. That's our roadmap to, and you'll see that today, the only thing we'll talk about is the Word of God. And, um, and so there, when I heard these things, I said, I, I have no other plans. I have no other hopes The opposite of hope is despair. My younger brother, who is a medical doctor, also he's a psychiatrist. He went to a uh, he was a chief director at Texas Tech of their psychiatric uh, residency, and and he went to a seminar. They said the number one cause of death last year, two thousand ten and eleven, were were suicide uh, as a result of despair and depression. That's the hallmark of our day. Uh, last year, my cousin's brother-in-law, uh, everybody went off to ski at the mountains of North Carolina, uh, at the snow for Christmas, and they, their Christmas was interrupted because his brother-in-law had committed suicide. He had uh, stuck himself in a car and bra- breathed that uh, uh, carbon dioxide and, um, and just died. And so in a world where there is despair, where women are being uh, led to the front lines of battle. The, the, when you hear that, you say only one thing. What is the thing we say? We're the men. Why aren't the men fighting the battles of their countries like in the olden days? So, and the scenario, is that now um, God wants us to align ourselves up to His, to his plan for the future. And I, I want to tell you what God's plan for the future is it's His people. Last night when they went to the fire department, like like Omar was saying, they said nobody has ever come with gift baskets to bless us at the firehouse. This is atrocious. That the people who serve in our community, they're public servants. They sleep there three times a week. That nobody goes by there to say thank you. Nobody goes by there to appreciate. Nobody. I mean, I'm sure they thought you guys were aliens. Like, Martians, like, where did these people come from? Like, where do you live? Who, who are your parents? What, what motivates you to do these things? And I'll tell you what motivates us to do these things. We're following Scripture. We're following the Word of God in Isaiah chapter 58, where it says like this, I'm sick of your religious games. I'm sick of your fasting. You want to have your voices heard, but yet you're not walking in my purposes. If we could go over there very quickly, Isaiah 58 in verse 3 um, the question that people ask is, why have we fasted? Why have we participated in spiritual exercise and you have not taken notice? Now, uh, Paul says, the apostle Paul says, if we do these things and God is not a part of them, we're, the, we're to be pitied most among men. How many say amen? amen. Well, you're, you, if you're just doing spiritual things and God is disconnected and his eyes are not upon you, then, then we're to... The, we're the, People are to feel most sorry for us. Um, and so he, they say there, why have we fasted and you have not seen? Why have we gone through these rituals and afflicted our bodies and you have not taken notice? And so God tells them why he's disconnected because when we heard it last week, God is not into religious exercise. In Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 40 verse 6, David says, Lord, none of these spiritual exercises are you into. And that was a lot to be said because the people of Israel had many spiritual exercises. And he says like this, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire. You want to open up my ears so that I can listen to you. Burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not require. So God is not into religious exercise to have a religious body. And if there's anything that we are stuck on all over the world, is that human beings are highly religious in their practice, but not connected to God, many of us. Like in India, for example. They worship a lot, um, but they worship cows. So they're all starving to death. And God, you know, that, that's not consistent. Your spiritual worship is to be uh, flourishing. I want to tell you this morning, and I didn't know this until I started going deep into Scripture. I'm talking about super deep. And I realized that the order of our creation is to prosper. Say that with me, please. The order of our creation is to prosper. And so this is how I explained it to a friend of mine. I went to a, I'm, I'm a former attorney. I practice law, so I have a lot of lawyer friends. And I went to a friend of mine who's a lawyer, and I, he's all worried and, and upset. I said, listen to me. What do orange trees give? Orange. Oranges, right, good. And so is there ever a time that an orange tree is not going to give oranges? No, it would have to be sick. It would have to have a problem for it not to give oranges. So the only time that our order of creation is not prosperous is when we're sick. When we're not fulfilling the call of God upon our life. Because the Bible says that God says, let us make man in our image and likeness. Let him, he, the Bible says he blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and take dominion, be a leader. So, look at all these things, seven things that God ordained upon us. And instead of being um, uh, the Bible, the, the, that whole, there was a whole proverb that says, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. How many have heard that? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Poor, sick, and stupid. That's the opposite. Healthy, wealthy, wise, poor, sick, and stupid. So, the scenario is that. We need to say, God, fix me. Fix me so my life is a blessing. First and foremost, if you're a husband, my wife. If your wife doesn't have a smile on her face, there's a problem. And the women say? Amen. And the women say? Amen. Because she's the first one that gets to taste the fruit from this order of creation. And if when she takes... She has a frown on her face. Something's wrong with the tree. Because he's so supposed to be fruitful. He's supposed to replenish the earth. He's supposed to be full of joy and peace and, 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 and really powerful. So first our wives are the recipients of our getting right with God. Then our children. I'll tell you what children don't want. They don't want to have any relationship with their fathers. Joe DiMaggio, the famous baseball player, only had one son. And that relationship was so disconnected. For years, father and son, I mean, this is a chip off the old block. No conversation, no connection. There was no blessing. Malachi 4.6 says, Unless the fathers connect to their children and the children connect to their fathers, there will be a curse upon the earth. And you can see this. Fatherless is the number one curse of our generation. This is the last verse in the Old Testament. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will connect the children to their fathers, lest the earth is stricken with a curse. And what is the curse of absentee fathers? What is the curse of a father who leaves the home? Say with me, poverty. It's the number one curse. Because The high levels of poverty and existence in the world are due to a dad who says, I'm leaving my family. And Jesus said it like this a house divided will not prosper, will not prevail. So there's an onslaught of single mothers, they're being father, they're being mother, they're being the, the breadwinner, they're trying to um, lead their homes, they're, they're going to battle. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with these families where mom goes to the front lines. Dad's already not there. So when mom goes, what's going to happen? There's going to be a huge dilemma in our day. And so men have decided they're not going to get married no more. They're going to promote same-sex marriages. You know why? Because they're intimidated by women. And let me, let me ask you something. How fruitful is a same-sex marriage? You guys understand this. A sterile relationship. There's no fruit of two people that are trying to come together. So we have, we have what... The last days is going to be the hope of glory. And you know who those people are? Those people who listen to God. Those people who do it God's way. In 1980, the women decided that they would have artificial insemination. They would have test two babies. Two women would come together and they said, we'll have our own children. We don't need men. That was 1980. In the year 2000, these babies, these test two babies were now Hating these women. Why would they hate these women? Could you answer that question? Because you didn't give me a dad. You were so selfish that you forewent giving me a father. And my only hope for being, being prosperous in this world as a young boy is having the model, the role model of a dad. That would teach me these things. That without worship, it's not worth to prosper. Listen to me. Without a relationship with God, our prosperity has no significance. So you could be successful and not be significant. So these young men hated these women, and they were dying to find out who had given the sperm. Who donated the sperm? I want to know who my dad is. Well, we we decided you're not going to have a dad. Well, you know something? You're not going to do that to me because I want to know where I come from. I want to know who I am and what I'm supposed to do upon this earth. So all these are the dilemmas of our day. And you guys know like a good ostrich, people would rather put their head in the ground than to deal with the issues, right? A lion's right in front of you. Let me stick my head in the ground and act like he's not there. Now, if you pretend, does that matter? does it matter if you pretend. So here is God, and God wants nothing more than to have a relationship with his creation, He asked that question in the beginning, Adam, where are you? And you could put your name right there. Steve, where are you? John, where are you? Robert, where are you? Adam, where are you? Eric, where are you? God is desiring a relationship, a connection, because he's desiring to see man prevail, prosper, be fruitful, increase. God desires to see his children. Listen to me. Princes upon the earth. Moses, the prince of Egypt. Joseph, the prince of Egypt. All these men that lived by what? By godly principles. They're not our principles. Einstein, if you you read the record of Einstein, which everybody promotes Albert Einstein as being the hallmark of intellect. To me, he's a buffoon. Why? Go find his sons. Go ask his sons, tell us about your father. Well, I'll tell you about my father. He abandoned my mother. He started a road trip with a lover. He started going to the high levels of intellectual establishment. And abandoning us, I decided it was better to commit suicide. One of his sons committed suicide. The other one was severely depressed all his life because he could not understand why dad left mom. We don't talk like that anymore. So that's why I consider the man a buffoon, a man who lacks wisdom, a man who doesn't have the fear of God, a man who has no legacy upon the earth. And so be careful that you not make yourself a devil. The devil knows a lot of things, he knows the whole Bible. The devil knows a lot of things, but he doesn't keep any of the Bible. He doesn't honor God and walk in the order of creation. He wanted to take God's place. So therefore he was uh, cast out of heaven and he's destined to eternal doom. So we were talking about the Isaiah fast and the biggest dilemma that we have as Christians and as believers and worshipers is that we would have a disconnect with God. And that's what they were saying Isaiah 58. Why do we exercise spiritual things and you don't pay attention? Why are you not connected to us? And today I hope... And and my concern is there's people that come for the first time, and so you're giving there's just a lot of stuff to hear for one Sunday morning. How many say Amen? There's a lot of stuff, man. But guess what? We have an Almighty God. He's a he's the word is omnipotent. There's nothing impossible for Him. And when I walked into the church thirty years ago, I had sarcasm and skepticism and cynicism all over my life. I said, I know God exists because I was just—I just was inclined like that, but he has nothing to do with what's happening upon the earth. He's up in heaven. He sits on a throne with a big, long, white beard, and when I stand before him, he's going to hit me over the head with a scepter because I've done things that don't please him. So I know that I'm looking forward to a big old knot on my head because the guy's angry. But see, I didn't know God, and I didn't know the God... Who would give his son to die for me on the cross. And I didn't know that while other people sacrifice goats and chickens and doves. He sacrificed his son. And this is a historical reality. As that Jesus Christ hung on the cross before all humanity. As the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I knew that intellectually or had been told to me. I had heard that, but I had never appropriated that truth to my heart. So in 1983, December 31st, 1983, I knelt down for the first time and I said, Lord, I knew you were the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but I need you to come and take away my sin. I need you to forgive me for every lie, for every proud, pretentious, indifferent, arrogant attitude. Forgive me, Lord, wash me with that precious blood that flowed down that cross. And I got up from there with a challenge to God. I said, I want to know you, but I don't want to be a religious hypocrite. I want to have a relationship with you. And in order for you to have a relationship with me, I told him, I said, I want to know that you, that I know, 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 that I know that you talk with me, you walk with me, You embrace me. You lead me. All these things that I I thought God was so distant. I would like to share a word this morning that will bring our fast to an end. And I hope that it encourages you to draw near to God because that's what God wants. That's what God wants most and foremost of all. Not for you to become a member of a religious institution or organization or for you to be well-versed in ecclesiastical philosophy and knowledge, but that you might have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness in this place. We give you thanks that there is such a thing as a gathering of your people who come together to worship you and to give you thanks for the abundance of your blessing. Lord, even as last night we were walking through the Dolphin Mall, and seeing the craziness in this world. Each man after his own ways, each woman walking, though hurt deeply, pretending that everything is okay. And a generation of young people who have no hope and walk in the same despair as their fathers. We pray that your word today would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray today that These words that we share might be relevant to getting us closer to knowing you and to living with you. So that answer of, Adam, where are you, has been resolved. Because we will say, here am I, Lord. Behold, I have come to do your will. I'm here to listen to the beckon of your call. I know you. I know your word. I know what you have me to do. I know where my gaze is set towards my future. I know the legacy, the inheritance I leave my children, my sons and daughters, who will know their God and be mighty upon the land. They will be able to stand firm when the tide of corruption and perversion is flowing. They will know right from wrong, truth from lies. You will remove deception from their eyes and give them clarity of vision to be able to judge rightly with all wisdom and truth and to desire righteousness. In the most inward parts, now prosper your word in the hearts of your people, and let us flourish as the light of the world, as people contemplate and see us, and they will want to come and serve the God we serve. Father, we give you thanks because you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you have left a legacy for those of us that were far off to come near to you. Bless your word this morning and prosper it in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The hallmark of my concern as a newborn Christian after I had asked Christ in my heart was how real and how close is God to my life? And we were out at South Beach not far after having asked Christ to come and to be my Lord and Savior, having him forgive my sins, starting new when I had already decided I would not follow a religious format. My father was a brain surgeon, my mom a school teacher, 29 years into their marriage, faithful, practicing religiously the traditions of their fathers, and now in the middle of a divorce, in the middle of a separation. And I said, the God they serve is not strong enough to keep them together. I don't want to have anything to do with this God. How many say amen? Amen. So at 16, I became a perfect rebel until one day the Lord met me at the South Beach uh, there on uh, Miami Beach, and, and the Lord was going to introduce me to how close he was. And I was swimming out there, and I was a high school senior uh, about to graduate from high school, and my high school graduation ring, you guys know what those are, you get them, uh, high school graduation ring, about an inch big, it fell in the middle of the ocean, and I lost it. So I was like, man, this is going to be a double bummer. One, I'm going to have no ring. And number two, I have to face my dad who's going to give me a ring. He's going to ring my neck. I'm in trouble. I don't want to go to the shore because there's my dad. And I'm going to have to tell him I lost the ring. He had just purchased me and I still haven't graduated from high school. So I was concerned and stayed out there under the water trying to look for this ring. I'm saying, man, I got to open my eyes in salt water and scuba dive without a mask, snorkel, snorkel. And, and sit here and try to find this thing, and nothing happened. So when my brothers finished, uh, and they got tired of helping me look for that thing, and they went to the shore, and they took the, the, the bad news to my dad first and foremost. I stayed out there a little bit longer. And finally, I went out to the shore. I said, Dad, you know something? I'm sorry. And he just looked at me like saying, wait till we get home. But there was a little old lady there, and she wasn't that old, but I was 16. She must have been 40. And this lady says, I'm going to pray that God might show you his care for you in the smallest things of your life. And then that's when I, when I said I hate religious people. They stick religion in everything that's going on. They can't forego the reality that I have lost my ring, and it's a, it's a reality. It's not, it has nothing to do with God. God is not here. God is busy running the universe. And she says, today God's going to show you he's concerned about the most insignificant things in your life, the small things. And I didn't know a God like that. So she says, let's pray. And I said, I would never prayed outside the church. I thought we could only pray in church. So she grabbed our hands and we did a circle and she started praying. And as she prayed, I was still very upset about the fact that she would be praying because that had nothing to do with the loss of my ring. And that could not, in A million years returned my ring to me. And that could not take away the heartache that I had at that moment. And so she prayed. And as she started making her prayer a little bit too long, I started saying, now I know what she's doing. She's making fun of me. She's mocking my loss. And a lot of times we feel like that when religion is involved and when worship is involved. We feel, why are they entwined with this stuff? And all of a sudden... I said, I know what she's doing. She's mocking me, and nobody's going to mock me in the midst of my loss and suffering. So I started looking at her. I said, open your eyes, because when you open your eyes, I'm going to curse you out. Those were my thoughts. I'm going to send this lady to the farthest hell that I know. And as soon as she opens her eyes and looks in my direction, I'm going to say, lady, you and your religion and your God go to hell. I was angry that she would be mocking me. So she said, Father, you created the oceans. You created the fish. You created the shells. You know the sands of the sea. And I said, this lady has no brain. The Lord forgot to give her reason, understanding. You know where Joaquin's ring is. I pray in the name of Jesus that you show him that you love Him in the most insignificant, small ways, for your glory. in Jesus name, I pray. I looked at her, I said, "Open your eyes, man, because I'm going to lay you have it." Even though I had prayed to receive Christ, I was still upset. And she opened up her eyes and she looked at me and I looked at her. I was looking for some glance of that she was playing games with her religion, and there was none. This lady believed what she was doing. I looked again to make sure, and she's like, you go, you're going to find your ring. I'm like, lady, you're nuts, but I'm not. And you think I'm going to go to the ocean and find my ring, but I'm not senile, and I'm not crazy, and I'm not a lunatic to follow in your religious craziness. And she goes, go, you're going to find it. And I was like looking at her, and my parents had taught me a little education. So I said, all right, if you're crazy, just go along with crazy people. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll go. Let's, and I, in my mind, I was saying, I'm not going. I'm not looking for this thing. I'm not looking for this thing because it's an insult to my intelligence. I started getting even a little bit religious when I said, I, there used to be a song that says, Jerusalem, your streets are of gold. And you're, you have a, the, the sea is of crystal. It's It's transparent. And I said, if in heaven the streets are out of gold, um, I, could, I could just consider that God thinks about those, that gold in heaven like we consider asphalt on earth. So if somebody were to stop you and ask you, hey, could you help me find a piece of asphalt? You'd look at them and say, you know something? Quit wasting my time. So I said, we're wasting God's time, in other words. I'm not going to look for this thing because God's not listening. And we went into the water. Even my dad went into the water. And my older brother and my brother-in-law Omar and, and Jules went in the water. And we were there inside the water. And all of a sudden, uh, I, was, I was the last one. I don't know what, what was in them that they were going to the water. That spiritual authority that, that woman had. But um, they were in the water already. I was dragging my feet. I was sad. And all of a sudden, my older brother, who's a little bit farther up than I was, and I said, in a vast ocean of South Beach, Miami, To find a graduation ring after you have left the waters is insane, incomprehensibly insane. So I said, I'm not looking for this. And then my older brother goes, oh, I've just stepped on something. I'm like, yeah, there's like a thousand shells right under your foot. And so when he says, I just stepped on something, I'm looking at him. And what did I tell him? You're such a jerk. This is like such not an appropriate time to play around. He says, why are you making fun you stepped on something? And he, goes, he even goes down underwater. I said, he's taking his joke a little bit too long. I'm getting upset. I stepped on something. Of course you stepped on something. There's shells all over this place. And he went down, and he brought up, and he showed me, and it was my ring. Man. I only did one thing. I didn't look at my brother. I didn't look at the ring. I turned around to that shore and saw that little old lady, 40 years old, 42 years old. (laughs) Hallelujah! I looked back there and I said, "I." this is what I said, I want to be like that little old lady. I want to be able to talk with God like she talks with God. I want to have that type of access with God. And I think that that is the reality of every human that lives upon the earth. Even if you're an atheist, and you go through problems, you're like, oh my God, I hope it didn't happen. They're talking to God. And so God is, you know, there's something more emphatic about the fact that we desire to talk with God. And I want to tell you, even though you don't believe in God, even though you don't know it, God has always wanted to talk with you. Always. Always. God has always thrown the lifeline towards us on a continual basis. Look what it says in Hebrews um, chapter 1. It says that for many ways and in many seasons and throughout the course of history, God has always desired to speak with man in many ways and in many fashions. And and you guys could count the ways. I don't have to. um, You guys know. That, that you're walking down the countryside and all of a sudden the guy next to you gets hit by lightning and you're saying God wants to get my attention, right? That, that is a form and an aspect to talk. But look what it says here in Isaiah, I mean in Hebrews and, and I'll, I'll start verse 1, Hebrews 1, 1 God who throughout various times, and using various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. And this, this can't be any clearer of God's intention. Various times and in various ways. Have you heard the story of uh, Balaam and his donkey? Have you heard that even through a donkey, God speaks? Yes. Absolutely. In various times and in various ways, um, God has been faithful to speak to us. In verse 2 it says, Now has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now he's, He's trying to get The whole world's attention through the cross of Christ. Speaking in the language of love. I think everybody understands this language. John 3.16 God in such a manner loved the world. His communication was that He loved the world. There's no doubt. He gave love, gives His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not... Fall short, should not perish, should not be lifeless, but have a large portion of life. And let's, let me tell you something. Since the day that I met Jesus Christ, my life has flourished and become hugely fruitful. And it doesn't matter who I see or who they are or what they're doing. I introduce them to the author of life to God himself, to Jesus Christ, to the one who gave his life for us. So past is it, you know, one of the young men here that started coming to church, he says, well, why doesn't God do signs like he used to? Why why doesn't he do miraculous signs? If he did a miraculous sign, I would believe in him. I said, when we get home, I'm going to show you a sign. We're going to go to home after church. I'll show you a sign. You'll know that God is real. And so we got home, and he says, are you going to show me the sign now? I said, yeah. I go, look, right here. I grabbed a mango from my fruit bin, and I started peeling the mango, and I gave him a slice. I said, taste that. That's a sign of God. Now, you decide if you believe in God or not, because signs are everywhere. Your ability to see, to hear, to live, to breathe are signs of God's miraculous grace, amazing grace that has come upon us to be able to live like we live. And so God is everywhere, and there's no greater a blind man than the one who doesn't want to see. But you can start giving thanks to God right now because the Bible says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Take a deep breath. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. I could breathe. And now hold your breath for 10 seconds and try not to breathe. And then when you could start breathing again, you could thank him again. Cuz our God is alive and he's well. And so he wants to reveal himself to us and um, walking in his commandments, fulfilling his call upon our lives, receiving his salvation, gives us awakening call. So here it is. In Isaiah 59, verse 3, they say, Lord, why do we participate in things religious and you are unattended? 58.3. Why is it that you're unattended to our spiritual exercises? And the Lord says, because you guys are not real. You guys are a bunch of fakers. You guys are pretending to have a relationship with me, and you don't. So he gets around to telling them how he prefers them to fast, and it's about to look to others. You worship God by what you do for others. That's what they did last night at the fire department, the police department, at the Starbucks. As you, as you live out this reality to love God with all your heart and live, love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest two commandments, in them fulfill all the law and all the teachings of the prophets. Okay, so we have this, this word, and then God decides to say, I want to clear up your, your relationship with church, uh, Isaiah f- uh, 58, 13, and 14. He says like this, in Isaiah 13, he says, If you turn away your foot and stop doing your own pleasure and stop doing your own delight on my holy day, and you begin to honor me, not doing your own thing, not fixing your car, not going hiking or hunting or uh, beaching on Sunday, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your words, reading the Miami Herald and, and uh, the news, not doing these things, but you delight in the day of the Lord and the house of the Lord like we're doing right now. In verse 14, he says, Then I will, you shall delight yourself in the Lord and cause you, he will cause you to ride. On the highest of the mountains and hills upon the earth. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. If your heart is tied in to worship. If your pleasure is to bringing pleasure to the heart of God. Get ready to prosper. First thing that's going to prosper is your mental health. He's going to turn on the light. All the darkness will flee. Depression will flee. Indifference and neglect will flee. So you get connected to the house of God. And you will light up like a light bulb. Things will start looking different, like we've talked about this morning. But then God gets back to answering their question in chapter 59, verse 1. And he says, it's not that I don't want to listen to you. We already know he does. Behold, the, the Lord's hand is not short that it not, cannot save. God doesn't go around like this. Oh, you're too far. I can't touch you. I can't reach you. I can't help you. God is not like that. God's hands are long and everlasting embrace. The hand of the Lord is not short, that it cannot save. Nor does He wear a hearing aid, and He's lost His hearing, so He can't hear you. He's not. God is not far and distant, and God is not deaf and dumb, that He cannot hear. So then what is it? Verse 2. Your iniquities... Cause you to separate from your God. And your sins have hidden his favor from you so that he will not hear. Hey, Lord, help me not to get caught cheating on my wife this weekend. What? That's your prayer? Oh, God's not going to hear that prayer. Hey, Lord, I hope this year I could cheat on my taxes real good. Give my account of that devilish anointing, to be creative. What? I don't hear prayers like that. Father God, I never want to see my my mom or dad again. God doesn't hear prayers like that. God says, leave whatever you're doing and go and mend yourself. Fix the relationship. Go and, and address these things. And so he says, it's not that my hand is short, it cannot save, my ears deaf that they cannot hear. But your way of living has hidden God's favor from you. Darkness ensues. Sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. And I don't know about you, but we get pretty aggressive when our prayers aren't being heard. How many say amen? Amen. You have a dilemma. You need God's help. He's not hearing. Psalm 13. This is an example. This is David. i got to hurry up. i got six minutes. I got six minutes and six hours of sermon footage. Psalm 13 says like this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I have to comfort my own soul? How long will I continue sorrowful all day long in my heart? Verse 2. How will my enemy be exalted? Why don't you address those people that are coming against me? How long, Lord? How long? And this is our prayers when we're not getting answered. And the Lord is just wanting to see, are you willing to line yourself up with my glory? Are you willing to obey my word? Or are you just have this 911 feature in your prayer closet. I have an emergency. Come and help. Otherwise, leave me alone. I've recognized over the years that people want God to come and help them in their inner city and in the areas of their problematic ghettos, of their personal lives, social lives, family lives the things that are corrupt and twisted. We want God to come in and heal us. But in the areas of our flourishing, in our our estates and in our coral gables and bow harbors of life, we don't want God to come around. We're the sheriff of that town. We're calling the shots. We're leading that order. We want our children to listen to us, but we don't listen to anyone. We want our wives to respect us. We don't respect anyone. We want to flourish in the refreshings of open heavens, But we want to contradict what God says will open the heavens. And he says like this. He says, I'm not going to pay attention to people that are walking contrary to my counsel. And so one of the portions of scripture that I always thought very interesting was 1 Kings 18, 16. It's Elijah on Mark Carmel, one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. And he's holding the front and living the forefront of God's purpose over Israel. And he invites all the prophets of Baal. You can, these are the guys that they go halfway. They're cowards. They compromise. They, they render themselves uh, to follow. Verse 17, he says, uh, Obadiah went to meet Ahab. And it happened when Ahab saw Elijah. He says, is that you, you troublemaker? See, people that are doing things wrong call people that want to do things right troublemakers. Ahab did not want to listen to God, and Elijah's listening to God. So he says, is that you, you who are constantly causing problems? Uh, I don't know if you know, but your pastor is one of these Elijahs. People do not like a guy who loves God and loves his commandments. They don't like somebody who's calling us to to serve the Lord in the manner that pleases God. Verse 18, is that you, O trouble of Israel? He says, I have not troubled Israel. But you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of God and have followed Baal's. The word Baal, you can say, is the reference to shameful ways. Things that are shameful. You like to do things that are embarrassing and fall short of God's glory. You're either glory or shame. If you're doing it God's way, you're going to get glory. If you do it the way, some other way, your own way, you're going to get shame. You're going to get egg on your face. And so he says, you're the trouble. You and the way you're leading your household. Because you're following shameful ways. And you have not followed and you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Verse 19. Then it happened. It says, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Let's have a session. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezreel's tables. Uh, Two types of people. Men who do things not God's way, and women who do things not God's way. Okay, Azra, we're we're sitting at Jezebel's table learning a woman who disrespected her husband, who forsake her home, who didn't give an example to her daughters. Uh, Her daughter became a a forthright queen over Israel and killing off all the descendants of the priesthood and of the kings. and, And that was a horrible home there. Killing off the messengers of God and promoting rebellious women into office and leadership. I don't know if you guys saw Hillary Clinton, uh, Clinton last week. She's being asked why she didn't do something. And she's, who cares why I didn't do it? There are four people that died. And the men were, oh, we're sorry. And they didn't ask her any more questions. That's a strong spirit to intimidate Congress and not answer questions. That's ridiculous. But that is the hallmark of the men in our generation who do not lead and do not want accountability. And they couldn't ask her any questions. And so here it is that he says, I want these people to come because we need to draw a line in the sand. He invites them out there, verse 21, and says like this. He sent for all the people. Elijah came to all the people. How long will you falter between two opinions? That's what's a, there's no three opinions. Either you serve God and do it his way, or you don't serve God and don't do his way. So Elijah says, let's split the line and either do it the way the book says, or don't do it. But let's, let's call it a quit here. There is no third middle, middle stream here. And he says, how long will you falter between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal and the systems of the world that forsake the commandments of God are the way, then follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Verse 22. And so he's going to, then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left among the prophets of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450, which was not true. Verse 23. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on wood, but put no fire under it. I will prepare the other uh, bull and lay it on the wood, but no fire under it. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will come and, and, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, We agree. It's a deal. We got a deal going here. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one. Of these bulls and prepare it. So they chose it and they called upon their God but put no fire under it. Verse 26. So they took the bull which was given to them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal. Listen to me. From morning time to evening, to, to noontime I mean. Saying, O Baal, listen to us, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped on the altar which they had made. And so it was at noonday, when they were crying and crying and crying and crying, that Elijah began to mock them and said, cry aloud, for he is God. He is either busy right now, he's taking somebody else's call, he's meditating, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's even sleeping. Maybe you have to shout louder, he needs to awake. Listen, I think that our worship would be A total mockery to our generation if God did not answer our prayers. And so the most powerful thing we have is calling upon the name of the Lord. Prayer is more significant than anything else we get. And we haven't taught our children how to pray. We have taught them how to go and get scholarships at the university, how to become incredible medical doctors, lawyers, accountants who lack prayer, who lack connection with God. They do, and they know how to, like Steve Jobs was made of wonderful tools in the Apple production. But guess what? He did not know how to call upon the name of the Lord. He did not know. And so that is a travesty. And God wants us not only to be able to call upon him, he wants to be able to answer. Verse 28. So it was. They cried aloud and they began to cut themselves and they became uh, with knives after their custom with uh, javelins until the blood gushed upon them or blood sacrifices. When the midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of offering. And there was no voice, no answer. No one paid attention. We went to Fort Myers um, last year, the year before, 2011. And it was a hall of Muslims. 3,000 Muslims, and Reza Safa, a friend of ours who's um, he converted over from, from being a Shiite Muslim, and now he's a Christian, and he says that he became a Christian because he heard God answer him when he prayed in the name of Jesus, and he says, that's it. I've been a Muslim all my life, never heard God, and I do one prayer in the name of Jesus, and God speaks to me, so he, he transferred and became a Christian, so now he goes around telling Muslims, if you want to hear from God, you have to come through Jesus, And so there's 3,000 people in Fort Myers, and they're all there to hear him debate one of the imans, one of the priests of their Muslim mosques. And he asked one question. He says, how many Muslims here this afternoon have ever heard the voice of God? And nobody raised their hand. And then he said like this, how many Christians are here have heard God speak to them? And all the hands went up. All the hands went up. That Iman got so irate, he got up there, and the first thing he says, You have not heard God! God speaks to no one! And he just got angry. But guess what? He does speak. He does speak. And he speaks often, in various ways, and many times you have to have a heart. And God here, the mockery of these men, no voice, no answer, no one paid attention. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. They went over and messed up his altar, apparently. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Verse 32. Then, when with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two uh, barrels of seed. Verse 33, and he put wood in order and cut the pieces of the bull and laid it on the wood. Fill four, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and sacrifice. Then he says, do it a second time. He says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. They fell up that altar. With so It made it so impossible for anything to light. For there to be a flicker of anything that would spark fire. So water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench so there was nothing coming from the outside. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Why do you do this in prayer? Why do you say, God, I'm praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why? It's his address. You you say, the God who created the universe. So you're getting your mail to the right place. The God of Abraham, the God of Israel, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. Let it be known this day, you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things following your word. He wasn't following his own sham. He wasn't praying according to his own imagination. Oh, Lord, I pray that. No, pray according to his word. I want to touch upon a verse in 1 John that tells you if you pray according to the word of God, he hears you. Let's read that real quick. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have. How do you know God hears you? Because I'm praying according to his word. He, we have this confidence if we ha, uh, that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Anything that's lined up with what God wants. God wants you to be prosperous. It's your order, the order of your creation. Lord, make me prosperous. Make me fruitful. If you're not making me fruitful, it's because I'm not hearing your word. What word? 1 Peter 3, 7. Treat your wife right. If you don't treat your wife right, your prayers won't get through. And all the women say... Amen. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husband, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving them honor to, as to weaker vessels, and as heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. You want your prayers to get through? Treat your wife right. Malachi 2, uh, two thirteen. This you have done. You have filled my altar The second thing you do is fill, cover my altar with tears, weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore to receive it from your hands. God doesn't want to hear your voice. The guy says, obviously, in verse 14, why not? Why doesn't God want to hear me? Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord is sitting there witnessing between you and the wife of your youth, and you're dealing with her in a treacherous manner Yet she is your companion and wife by covenant. I'm not going to listen to your prayers, my friend. You have disrupted the frequency. How? How you treat your wife. How you speak to her. A friend of mine owns an exotic car dealer here in Dade County. He says, I haven't sold a car for three months. And whenever I hear a man tell me that, I said, listen, if I were you, I'd go fix my relationship with my wife. And he was like, what do you mean wife? What does wife have to do with cars? And I've been a car dealer all my life. I said, really, go fix the stuff with your wife. The next week, he called me. He says, could you come over? Because my wife just served me with divorce papers. I didn't know anything. But I know when a man is not being fruitful, he better check his relationship with his wife. Because God says he's not going to listen to prayers like that. I don't know why God chose that. But that's what his word says. Going back to First Kings 18... And we're seeing there that he says, this is for you to be able to know how God is able to answer. And digging this trench and filling up with water. And it says like this in verse 36. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and I'm your servant. And have done all these things according to your word. Verse 37. Answer me. Lord, answer me so these people will know that you Lord our God, and that you are turning, and that you are turning their backs again. Why does God want us to pray? So we turn to him. God, God killed them. God, let them go to hell. God, I hope they never come back. That's not godly prayer. Your prayer should be, God, be connected with people. God, people return to God. As soon as they get connected and return to God, they'll be fruitful. They'll flourish. They'll be blessed. They'll be favored of God. That's what we want. That's how we pray. Lord, show them, show them. So uh, verse 38, it says, and we finish with this. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water. God does great things when we pray. Great things. You could shout amen. amen. All those things that were in the trenches, even the water that was on the side, even the things that surround those things you were praying about get resolved. Let's stand this morning and let's turn our hearts towards home. Let's turn our hearts towards the heaven. There is no excuse. Listen to me, my friend. There is no excuse that you not serve God like he wants to. There is no excuse for you to be far from the word of God, the Bible. I encourage you, don't leave this place before you go to the bookstore and make this the manual. Listen, in my house growing up, it was a a, a decorative book. It was sacred. It was at the living room there open, Psalm 23. Nobody read it. Nobody knew that God doesn't answer man's prayer if they don't treat their wife right. But guess what? We started reading God's Word, and our lives reflect the glory of God. It's not not vain rhetoric and religious garbage. We're in here Sunday learning how to change the world. Our sons will cover the earth with the glory of God, with the truth of the Lord. And my friend, the very fact that you're here this morning is proof evident that God loves you. And proof evident that He's reaching out to you yet again. And you'll have to leave this place raising up 50,000 arguments to contradict the word of God. To continue to live outside his grace. To live distant from his goodness and favor. And you should not, my friend. Even if you don't believe like I did not believe. Even if you're far and you distant and you didn't know that you could be so close to God. Tell the Lord, God, bring me near to you. Cause me to to be humble enough to obey you. How is it that we find ourselves so comfortable outside the order of our creation? We'd rather get a good psychiatrist, a good psychiatry pill. We'd rather start an illegitimate relationship, have illegitimate children. Be totally broken in our ways than to come to God so he could mend us and make us whole. So as we sing this song, I'm going to leave it up to you. I I believe God has been clear this morning with His Word. I believe our Isaiah fast has been so powerful and so blessed. And we thank you, God, for, for not allowing us to get stuck on religion. But that we can always listen to your voice. Always hear you. Always follow you, Lord. And then forevermore celebrate your goodness as we come to the house of God. And like David says, surely goodness... And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord.